Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Middle East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Indonesia has emerged as a primary battleground between democratic and autocratic visions of Islam in the 21st century. The battle pits Nahdlatul Ulama, or NU, the world's largest Muslim civil society movement with 90 million followers and powerful ministers in Indonesian President Joko Widodo's cabinet against Abdallah bin Baya, an Abu Dhabi-based Mauritanian-born religious jurist. Mr. Bin Baya, a Sunni Muslim high priest for Middle Eastern autocracy, provides religious legitimization to the autocratic rulers of the United Arab Emirates. Mr. Widodo risks finding himself in the battle's crossfire. Although closely associated with Nahdlatul Ulama, Mr. Widodo has agreed to cooperate with the UAE on religious affairs in return for massive Emirati investment in the Southeast Asian archipelago nation. At the heart of the battle between rival theologically packaged visions of governance is the relationship between Islamic clerics and the state. Mr. Bimbaya favors a state-controlled clergy that stifles free-flowing debate by avoiding what the jurist terms the chaos of the fatwa. The jurist heads the Emirates Fatwa Council, established in 2018 to take the fatwa out of the hands of terrorists and extremists. Hamdan al-Mazrui, the head of the Emirati General Authority of Islamic Affairs and Endowments at the time said, the Fatwa Council have been created to ensure alignment of fatwas in the country and ensure preaching of moderate Islam. Control of religious debate in the UAE mirrors the country's crackdown on freedom of expression in general. The Fatwa Council counts among its members Professor Amani Bunahuddin, a prominent Islamic scholar who heads the Indonesian Council of Scholars for Women and Youth. In diametric contradiction to Mr. Bimbaya and the UAE, Nadatul Ulama, under the leadership of its newly elected chairman, Yahya Cholil Stakuf, a proponent of humanitarian Islam that propagates democracy, respect for human rights and pluralism, has launched a frontal attack on the once powerful Indonesian Ulama Council. The Ulama Council is a remnant of erstwhile state control that many view as the country's top body of Islamic scholars, made up of representatives of all strands of Sunni Islam. The assault is designed to marginalize the council that seeks to retain the, that authority as a de facto independent group. By undermining the council, Nadatul Ulama encourages the very chaos of the fatwa that Mr. Bimbaya and his UAE backers would prefer to repress. Created in 1975 by then President Suharto as a quasi-independent body, the council has long projected itself as the authoritative voice of Islam. However, control of the council was up for grabs after Mr. Suharto was toppled in 1998 by a popular revolt, even if successive Nahdlatul Ulama Supreme Guides have since chaired it. 
The council long propagated discriminatory policies against Muslim sects accused of being heretic, such as Ahmadis and Shiites and gender minorities. It did so with the support of conservative clerics of Nahdatul Ulama, including Mr. Jokowi's vice president, Maruf Amin. Mr. Amin played a key role as chairman of the council in mass protests that in 2017 brought down Jakarta governor Basuki Jahada Buanama, AKA Ahok, an ethnic Christian Chinese, and led to the sentencing to two years in prison on charges of blasphemy against Islam. The Nadatul Ulama assault started with the group's supreme leader, Miftahul Akhya, last week resigning his post as chairman of the Ulama Council. The resignation, which has yet to be accepted by the council, appears to have thrown it into disarray. At the same time, the Ministry of Religious Affairs has deprived the council of its de facto monopoly on halal certification by opening the sector to competition. Halal certificates are big business. The Halal Product Assistance Agency issues the certificates based on a fatwa issued by the council to companies in the food, fashion, education, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, tourism, media, travel, medical, health, art, culture, and finance sectors. With the undermining of the council, Nadatul Ulama is attempting to remove the last remnants of state influence on the issuance of fatwas. It no doubt opens the door to what Mr. Bin Baya fears most. Echoed in statements by top UAE officials, Mr. Bin Baya blames instability and volatility in the Middle East on a cacophony of fatwas that fuel unfettered debate rather than provide uniform state-approved guidance to the, to the faithful. In Mr. Bin Baya's mind, autocracy, uninhibited by religious jurists who do not know their proper place, is best positioned to ensure societal peace. Mr. Bin Baya remained silent when his Emirati paymasters rendered his theory obsolete with military interventions in Libya and Yemen. The interventions fueled civil wars, while political and financial support for anti-government protests in Egypt that overthrew the country's first and only democratically elected president in 2013 produced a brutal dictatorship. More than 800 protesters against the coup were killed in its immediate aftermath. The UAE's intervention in Yemen, in cooperation with Saudi Arabia, sparked one of the world's worst humanitarian crises. While UAE support for Libyan rebel leader Khalifa Haftar, in contravention of a United Nations arms embargo, helped push the North African nation into protracted violent conflict. Mr. Bimbaya's silence on chaos, fueled by Emirati autocrats, suggests that he is not opposed to chaos unconditionally, but rather he only refers to as chaos to oppose autocracy on the part of democratically oriented forces in the region, said Usama al-Azami, a British Middle East scholar of South Asian descent, who also trained as a classical Islamic scholar. 
Mr. Bimbaya's silence was grounded in his belief that jurists should not impinge on the decisions of a ruler because jurists do not know the facts of the matter or the consequences of particular courses of action. Moreover, Mr. Bimbaya argues that Islamic scholars may not be aware of a country's internal tensions or external concerns that may lead to civil war, which need to be taken into account in matters of state. By contrast, the ruler understands the underlying reasons for his decisions and delays with situations that are hard for others to understand, Mr. Bimbaya said. Rather than subjugating Islamic scholars to state control, Mr. Stakouf, the newly elected Nahadatul Ulama chairman, has pledged to take the group. The assault on the Indonesian Ulama Council may be the first step in that direction. Still, the litmus test will be the future of the numerous Nahadatul Ulama activists that serve in Mr. Widodo's cabinet and as ambassadors and board members of state-owned enterprises. While the new chairman is publicly pledged to return NU to being a politically neutral organization, signs suggest it may well retain its close ties with the Jokowi regime, work with the government to, pro to promote the brand of moderate Islam Jokowi endorses at home and abroad, said his Indonesia scholar Alexander Arfianto. Nadatul Ulama could conclude that preventing Mr. Jokowi tempted by UAE financial largesse from buying into the Gulf state's autocratic notion of moderate Islam is a good reason to maintain the group's close ties to the president. UAE Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed has pledged to lead a committee that will oversee the construction of a new $32.5 billion capital city for Indonesia and invest $10 billion in the country's sovereign wealth fund with a focus on infrastructure. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at www.jamesmdorsey.net. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.